the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. At Copley Feed on South Cleveland Maslin Road in Copley. Oh, and don't forget to pick up some ice melting products to keep you safe on your feet. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome indeed. It is, uh, it's cold. It's cold and there's a whole lot of snow on the ground and there's a whole lot more falling and it's going to continue that way for a while. But you know what? I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And you want to know why it doesn't bother me? Because it's a certain kind of a day today. It happens to be a Friday, and it happens to be not just any Friday. It happens to be a free-for-all Friday! (laughs) Yes, indeed it is. Welcome. Uh, We're going to stay warm by talking to one another, and we're going to be sharing information. We're going to be sharing opinions. We're going to be sharing insights, and we are going to do so with civility, and we're going to do so with... Uh, camaraderie and almost the spirit of brotherhood. And that's why we like to also call this a fist bump Friday <laughs> in stereo yet. How about that? Fist bump Friday is in full effect. Uh, make sure you put the knuckles up to people around you today, whether you know them or they're strangers. Offer them knuckles and tell them it's fist bump Friday. They will reflexively put them back up to you and uh, offer just a little bit of, like I said, a little bit of camaraderie, a little bit of fraternity today. Nothing wrong with that at all, especially in a divided country. So we have a lot to do on this free-for-all Friday. First of all, the phone lines will be open to you at 216, especially in hour number one. 216 If you've already got a story in mind, if you've already got an article in mind, if you've already got a question or a comment in mind, something that has happened to us um, uh, over uh, the last 24 hours since we last spoke, you can dial right now. We'll put you up in the first hour. 216 There you go. Uh, then we've got some great conversation to come. 
coming up in, let's see, we're going to call it an hour. At the top of hour number two, Michelle Exner is going to join us. Remember that story we told you about <clears throat> in uh, Columbus when I had Jack Windsor on earlier this week? Columbus City Schools are essentially telling their faculty and staff that they have to call all the kids by whatever the kids want to be called. Different pronouns, different species, different names, and moms and dads don't have to be made any the wiser. It's a huge problem, so we're going to talk to her. Uh, Gregory Wrightstone is an EV and climate change expert, and he is also marveling at all of the frozen EV graveyards all over the Midwest and across the even the Mid-South. <clears throat> My daughter's experiencing like crazy snow and ice down in Knoxville, Tennessee, the kind of stuff they haven't had since 1993, which is just all kinds of hilarious. She's mad because she's missing her law school classes. In fact, they've, uh, they've already closed them for Monday just because they think people are going to be trying to get back to school from wherever they are and the roads might not be great and so forth. But they've, they're freaking out down there about the uh, the cold, and all across those regions, and then of course up in the northeast, in, into the north northeast, you have a whole bunch of useless electric vehicles. Why? Because it's too cold for their batteries to charge. And I don't mean to laugh at everybody's misfortune, but I'm laughing at the not the consumer. You're just you know doing what you thought was right. You're buying these cars and and whatever. Um. But I'm laughing at the uh, manufacturers and I'm laughing at the policymakers who are trying to tell us that we can get rid of the internal combustion engine and that we must get rid of gasoline-powered vehicles and convert all to electric vehicles by 20, what do they say, half by 2030 and the rest of them by, by 2040 or 50 or whatever the heck their plan is. In all seriousness, do any of these idiots ever account for things like weather the eventuality of the grid crashing, the eventuality of solar and wind power not being even able to provide one-tenth, one-one-hundredth, ten-percent of what is necessary to power this country, and they want to turn all of the cars into electric cars. They can't charge in weather and temperatures like this. So, again, I'm not making fun of the Tesla owners or the EV owners. My father-in-law was one of the OG uh, electric vehicle owners. He got a 2012 um, and he got it back in 2012, I believe. No, 2013, I think he got it. No, it was 2012. He's original. I apologize. I'm trying to get it all straight. Anyway, he got a Nissan Leaf, which was one of the first all-electric vehicles to come out. Remember, in like the early part of the 2000s, it was all about the Prius. It was all about the, uh, uh, you know, the hybrids, and that's still a thing. But um, all-electric was still very, very rare at that time. And... Um, my father-in-law, he didn't get one of these because he's like, you know, Mr. Eco-Warrior at all. He's just, he's an engineer. He's an engineer, and he's, you know, just, he loves the tech. He loves the science of it all. He got one because he wanted to have an all-electric vehicle because it was very rare. It wasn't like I said. He wasn't trying to, uh, you know, he's not buying into the carbon myth or any of that nonsense. Anyway, he got that vehicle in 2012, and so I, I'm not making fun of anybody who bought one because they think they're cool, they're fun, they're this, that. But if you're buying it because you think this is what the country has to do in order to keep, and not just the country but the globe, in order to keep the you know carbon emissions down and to keep the global warming down and all of that other nonsense, and if you think we can function as a, you know, in an industrialized nation on all electric vehicles. I just hope this little experiment is opening your eyes. 
So, like I said, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, uh, but uh, that 2012 Leaf that my father, which I'm selling for him, by the way, right now, he's done driving. He's done. He's done all of his driving, and I'm selling. him. We want a 2012 Leaf with only 13,000 miles on it. Yeah, less than a thousand miles a year. That's uh, that's how much he drove it all around, just around his little town. Uh, it was just a cool thing for him to have. Anyway. We're going to talk to Gregory Wrightstone at 1110 about that. Um, he is, uh, like I said, an EV and a, a climate expert, so that will be coming up. In between Michelle Exner and Gregory Wrightstone, we just confirmed we're going to have Dan Stein, president of FAIR. That's the Federation for Amer- of Americans for Immigration Reform. I'm sorry, Federation of America for American Immigration Reform. Uh, Dan Stein is going to be joining us to talk about this ongoing battle uh, that is going on on Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill right now with respect to the border crisis. Democrats blaming Republicans and saying that they don't want to fix the problem. They want to use more and more border crossers. Um, as uh, uh, as a an election point, as a talking point for re-election, saying that the Democrats the Democrats are the ones really trying to stop it, they say, but Republicans want to use it for talking points and uh, you know to help win an election. Uh, it's crap. So we're going to talk to Dan Stein. Uh, that'll be coming up at ten thirty-five this morning. So there you have it: Michelle Exner, Dan Stein, and Gregory Wrightstone, and of course your calls this whole first hour if you're ready to make them. When you're ready to make them, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Before we do anything else, we say we do the uh, pledge of allegiance. Patriots, go ahead and stand. Put your hand on your heart. Face your flag. If you don't have a flag yet, let's get one. And don't forget, if you do have one, uh, make sure you are posting it on my Twitter page, France Rants. Uh, or on my Facebook page, Always Write Radio, or anywhere else that you can find me so that I can uh, uh, share those. I love that people still do this. Uh, but let's go ahead and do that. If you are a believer in surrendering our sovereignty by that open southern border, if you are a believer in surrendering all of American productivity by trying to switch over to all frozen EVs, uh, then you pretty much don't have a clue what this country is about, what made it great, and what it stands for today. So don't fake it and stand there and virtue signal your way through a pledge. Just own what you are and have a knee like the other socialists and Marxists. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So we're going to start on this free-for-all Friday, and because it's Friday, we can bounce around to a whole bunch of different things. We're going to start with a Jussie Smollett alert, 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 alert. Yes, we've got a new Jussie. This time, it is Representative Barbara Lee. She's an African-American Democrat who went on CNN last night and told a Jussie tale. Now, I have been pretty good at sniffing out Jussie Smollett tales uh, ever since the OG Jussie Smollett lied about uh, MAGA country in Chicago at minus 13 at 2 o'clock in the morning and being attacked uh, in MAGA country. Uh, he's, of course, on his way to jail, uh, which is where he built prison, which is where he belongs. He should have been there a long time ago. He's fought this and appealed his way through, but I think it's all over now. Anyway... Every other time we see these phony hoax hate crimes, including the one from LeBron James. Remember that one where he claimed that somebody painted, spray painted the N word on his white fence or his one of his multi car garage or whatever it is out in uh, in California. And and remember when people came to investigate it, police came and reporters came and there wasn't anything there. 
And he said, well, we didn't want that to stay on there, so we painted over it. (laughs) That was one of my favorites. Well, and we just had one more recently, too, in the wake of the October 7th uh, terror attack in Israel. You know, we told you about the uh, the phony just, Palestinian Jussie that happened right here in uh, North Olmsted, North Ridgeville area, where the, where the uh, CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, tried to sell a story of this Palestinian guy walking by himself down a lonely roadway to work or from work or uh, at lunchtime of work or whatever. Apparently he has no car, but but some somebody in an SUV drove by and looked at him and screamed at him, uh, uh, you know, anti-Palestinian rhetoric or anti-Muslim rhetoric and tried to hit him with his car. And then they missed him. And then they stopped at the end of the road and turned around and came back and ran at him again. And this time knocked him over and put him in the hospital. Remember that whole story? And I did a detailed coverage of that about everything that made it Palestinian Jussie. And called uh, we called CARE. Seth, you called CARE, right? A couple of different times to get them to come on and comment about this and uh, discuss it with me, didn't you? Yes, and uh, they still have no comment. <laughs> of course they have no comment. Because it was a Palestinian Jesse. And by the way, after it was all investigated and said and done, that is exactly what it was. The whole thing was made up. So I've, I've got a pretty doggone good track record of sniffing out the, the uh, Jesse Smollett copycats. Here's the latest on uh, CNN last night with uh, Democrat Representative Barbara These Lee. These are not little kinks, first of all. Racism, institutional racism, is in the DNA of this country. When you look at uh, what has taken place, look at the, our Native Americans, the genocide of Native Americans. When you look at what has taken place as it relates to African Americans, uh, the 250 years plus of enslaving African Americans, and then you look at the disparities now uh, in our community in terms of health care, unemplo- unemployment, the wealth gap, housing. You can't tell me that systemic racism does not exist. It's- yes, I can, because you're a blithering idiot. You have no earthly concept. Actually, you do, but you're trying to sell a fairy tale that systemic racism is keeping black people down. If that was the case, tell me something. African-American Democrat politician Barbara Lee, how'd you get to Congress? If it was systemic, you would be kept down like all of the others that you're talking about. It has nothing to do with choices, does it? It has nothing to do with fatherlessness in the homes. It has nothing to do with not getting high school diplomas. It has nothing to do without getting about getting knocked up by 16 and getting knocked up multiple times and not having fathers in the lives of these kids and so forth. There's nothing to do with that, right? It's all about systemic racism. Please, Jesse, continue. Not just a little kink. Secondly, you have personal racism, which is hard to address, but I'll give you one little story that shows you why uh, we need to understand that I don't think she really understands racism. I was- Emphasis on the word story. Synonymous in thesauruses with mm, fairy tales and fictions. I was walking from the House building on Capitol Hill to the Capitol, and a man, a white guy, stopped me and told me I could not get into the member's elevator. And, you know, we have uh, pens, and I was going to vote. And he blocked me from getting into the elevator and told me I was not a member of Congress, and it was for members only. I said, sir, I'm a member of Congress. And he, I showed him my pen, and he said, whose pen did you steal? <laughs> I'm sorry about the comedy element of this but what are you going to do it is hilarious you don't work in the capital 
working security or anywhere else without knowing what members are on the member elevator and can get on the member elevator. You don't, you certainly don't, if you do mistake somebody for being a, 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 um, uh, a civilian and not a member of Congress trying to get on the wrong elevator, and then they realize, oh, gosh, you are a member. I see your pin. I apologize. You don't then say, whose pin did you steal? What's the next thing he said, Babs? What's the next thing he said? I bet he looked at you and said, this is a MAGA elevator, and you're not welcome. This is MAGA country elevator, Congresswoman. Ha ha. How many times do they need to fly the false flag of racism in order to advance their agenda before they realize how utterly buffoonish that it makes them look? Honestly. I thought I, I was I was about to declare Eric Swalwell the dumbest Democrat in Congress, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But I may have to pivot back here and say Barbara Lee is pushing him. We already know that Maxine Waters and virtually every member of the squad um, have have had you know kind of had had a tight grip on the title of dumbest members of Congress, uh, along with Eric Swalwell. I was about to uh, elevate Eric Swalwell to the top of that food chain because of something he said, which I'll get to, but Barbara Lee is stepping up here and saying, you know, don't forget about me. Now, this is an example of what personal racism is. And this is an example of what a fairy tale is. This is an example of Jussie congressional version. How people of color constantly have to deal with this each and every day. Yeah, sure they do, because you know what? There are no uh, uh, eyewitnesses to your story. There's no cameras. In fact, there are cameras outside of every one of, in every one of those hallways and outside of every one of those elevators. How do you think they busted Jamal Bowman pulling a fire alarm? Let's see the film. Let's see it, Barbara. And by the way, how long ago did this happen? Because you're just now talking about the story on CNN as you're looking for a way to explain and to and to um, an example of personal racism, one that you experienced yourself. How long ago did it happen? Why didn't you bring it up? I guarantee you, if some white security guard at, a, at the members-only elevator stopped Barbara Lee and said, whose pin did you steal? You would have screamed at that moment in time. You would never have left that hallway or gotten on that elevator without getting his name, getting his uh, turning on your cell phone and recording him and making a huge scene. You know it. I know it. Jesse Smollett knows it. But systemic racism is in the policies of this country. And just look at what they're trying to do in terms of a Eliminating diversity, equity, and inclusion. This Which is, of course, the exact opposite of inclusive. It is, by its very nature, exclusive. Tell me something, babbling barb. Tell me something. What is it that a white person in America has a right to do today that a Democrat in America does not have a right to do? What can a white person, or a Democrat, a black person, what does a, 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 what laws affect only black people but not white people? Find me one. Find me one in our system of racism, as you were describing. And second of all, if you don't give me the camera to show me your little uh, Jussie moment in front of the elevator, then I want you to go back on CNN and, uh, and apologize for being just a wanton liar. So we've got our, we had a Palestinian Jussie. Now we've got a congressional Jussie. Uh, we've had all kind. We had an NBA Jussie. We got all kinds of Jussies. When do you think they'll stop selling these narratives? Sooner, I would rather than later.
All right, uh, we'll talk more about that. I've got Eric Swalwell queued up and waiting in the wings. This guy, honestly, he might be the... Remember, he's the one who had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy from the Communist uh, Party of China. Yeah, Fang Fang. This is a guy who's on the Intelligence Committee. He didn't get booted from the committee. Didn't even get didn't get booted from Congress or the committee. Um, he was allowed to stay, and now he is gaslighting Americans into thinking the GOP loves the open border crisis. Like I said, maybe Medina number one prize. Nobody giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. I mean, honestly, the only thing missing. Was a noose, a subway sandwich, and uh, and this is a mega country elevator. That, that I mean, really, that's that's all that was missing from uh, uh, from uh, Barbara Lee's little story here. Walking from the House Building on Capitol Hill to the Capitol, and a man, a white guy, stopped me and told me I could not get into the members' elevator. And you know, we have uh, pens, and I was going to vote. And he blocked me from getting into the elevator and told me I was not a member of Congress, and it was for members only. I said, <laughs> sir, I'm a member of Congress. And he, I showed him my pen, and he said, whose pen did you steal? Do you know how fast that person would have been fired if he had said that? And she would have made sure that he was fired, right? Because you know this would have been in every newspaper. It would have been on every TV, uh, uh, liberal TV, TV network. It would have been on every TV network, Fox, Newsmax. Everybody would have carried it because that would have been egregious, especially if it was on camera. She wants, they want to gaslight it. They, they think we're stupid. Honestly, I just don't know other way to say it. That's what Eric Swalwell thinks. Eric Swalwell, sir, farts a lot to you and me. Uh, he's a guy who uh, was doing one of his uh, congressional uh, meetings on on a Zoom call and uh, just decided to uh, <clears throat> relieve himself uh, loud enough for the entire uh, uh, Zoom room to hear. Anyway, Sir Farts a lot, who is also the um, uh, paramour of Fang Fang, the Chinese communist spy that he was sleeping with while he has a wife at home that he was sleeping with uh, while a member of the Oversight Committee says that the border crisis, which is indeed a crisis, uh, he, he calls it a problem, is the problem of the Republicans making, because the Democrats have the goods. They've got the fix for it, but the Democrats or the Republicans don't want it. Listen to the, uh, ooh, I just had a very bad vision. He's, he Sir farts a lot, and I also call him a gaslighter. I hope he never lights those things. That's a problem. When it comes to immigration solutions, uh, too many of my... Uh, colleagues would rather have the issue uh, than the fix. Uh, I, I don't want open borders. Uh, I want a secure border. That's why I have supported surging more border agents uh, at the border. Pause right there. Again, we have to explain things very slowly to the dumbest among us, like uh, Eric Swalwell. And I'm probably going to grab that and 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 say, yeah, he's the dumbest. He's the dumbest member of Congress, at least at the moment. But. Um, more border agents is not the answer. He knows that. You know that. I know that. This is how the Democrats play the game. They say, we're offering more border agents. Well, when the border agents don't have the authority to repel crossers, to stop them and turn them around and get them going in the other direction, when all they their job is is to put on the blue smock that says, welcome to Walmart, and act as a greeter as these people come in, more agents means nothing. 
He doesn't think you know that. He doesn't think we know that. He thinks we're idiots, which, of course, is what makes him the dumbest member of Congress. You're not going to find that here. This is not where they do that. This is where they seek fame uh, rather than uh, a fix. And what you're going to find here is that if we were to solve this crisis, this committee... Well, we did call it a crisis. All right, you admitted we have a Biden-created crisis. That's a start. Wouldn't have anything... Uh, to talk about. Just recently on CNN, Jake Tapper asked Speaker Johnson, look, President Biden wants to give you more money at the border. Uh, would you take that? And, and Speaker Johnson said no. A- again, just revealing and saying out loud what we all know, which is that they don't want to solve this problem. They See, this is, this is why I call him what he is, because he thinks we're too dumb to know the context. He thinks that we don't pay attention. And the sad reality is there are a lot of low-information voters and maybe even low IQ voters who don't pay attention to the news and know that when um, Speaker Johnson was asked if he wanted more money at the border and he said no, it was specifically in reference to com- combining that with money for uh, Ukraine and, and and combining that with money for uh, for Israel in the in the Gaza conflict. This was not a standalone thing. Do you want more money for the border at all? He said no because he did he he rejected that deal. Secondly, it's not about money any more than it is about personnel. It's about policy. Fix the asylum law. Stop them from being able to say, I'm seeking asylum from persecution in my own country. Stop that nonsense. It is not about us. It is not about asylum. This is an invasion of the Democrats making. Biden wants it. So does Swalwell. And now they're gaslighting us into thinking that it's the Republicans who are really to blame here because they're turning down money and personnel. They, they want to use it and exploit it, and exploit victims so they have a political narrative. My Democratic colleagues want the fix. MAGA Republicans want your Democrat colleagues want the votes. You want 20, 25, 30 million illegals in this country to the point where they have so overwhelmed the system and processing them for their asylum claims and processing them for deportation would be next to impossible so that there will be a quote-unquote one-time amnesty where everyone is granted um, residency and a path to citizenship. You want their votes. You know it, and I know it. Senator Ted Cruz was on Fox, um, and this is worth our time. Senator Ted Cruz was asked about the invasion, especially after Kamala Harris tried to explain kind of the same way in her word salad method, uh, the same way that uh, Eric Swalwell was, that this is a Republican-generated problem. Listen to how Senator Cruz responds to Vice President Harris blames Republicans for the crisis at the border. Bear with us, Senator. Just watch this briefly. Roll it. First of all, everyone knows our immigration system is broken. Right. The solutions are at hand, but frankly, we're in an election year, uh-huh. and the folks who want to return Donald Trump to the White House would prefer to talk about a broken immigration system instead of focusing on the solutions that are at hand and engaging in bipartisan work. I think it's critically important that we understand that there are petty politics at play on this issue as much as anything. We need solutions. The solutions are at hand. 
Well, Mr. Santos, she says it's your fault, but you are <laughs> discussing a border deal. Are we going to get a border deal that's acceptable to you? Well, I, I have to say, listening to that, 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 that's an awful lot like an arsonist standing there spraying gasoline on a house that's burning and saying, I don't understand why, why the firemen won't put this out. She is the one, and Joe Biden is the one, and the Democrats are the one that broke this system. Understand, Joe Biden inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. And they deliberately did this. The week he was sworn in, the numbers skyrocketed. And we now have, in three years of Biden's presidency, 9.6 million illegal immigrants, the worst illegal immigration in history. And understand, like her claim, oh, it's Republicans' fault. By the way, that's been their talking point all three years. It ignores the fact that they did this unilaterally and they can fix it unilaterally. I'll tell you how you fix it, Stuart. It's very simple. There's one question that resolves whether you have a border crisis or not. What do you do when you apprehend an illegal immigrant? If the answer is you apprehend them, and you put them on a plane and you fly them back to their country, your numbers plummet. That's the reason we got the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years, because we deported people when they came here illegally. What does Joe Biden do? What does Kamala Harris do? When they get here, they let them go. They put them on a plane or a bus and they send them to every city in America. And by the way, Joe Biden could end that today. He's defying the law. He's flouting the law. And the reason is simple. Biden and Kamala and every Democrat, they want this invasion. They look at those 9.6 million illegal immigrants and they see future Democrat votes and they don't care about the people who suffer. They don't care about the people who die. They don't care about the children who are brutalized. They don't care about the 100,000 people who died of drug overdoses last year. All of that, they think, is acceptable political cost for a partisan victory in the end and that's an incredibly cynical view it's the reality that is exactly what they are doing every single word of that and i love how kamala's like you know the solutions are here at hand in the republic what are they name them you babbling bag of buffoonery name them what are the solutions when you took office with biden he named you border czar so you would find the solutions if the solutions are at hand where were they in 20 freaking one where were they in 20 freaking two where were they in 20 freaking three and now that it's 20 freaking four where the hell are they name them list them and why aren't you implementing them why aren't you making them known to members of congress the gaslighting of these idiots buffoons all of them of the american people trying to tell us that it's the republicans who want the invasion and that they're the ones that have the fix and it just has to be implemented but their fix is more of the same that has led to the 10 million i think he said 9.6 i'm gonna round up senator cruz the 10 million that have already come here and the 12 million that we're pacing for by the end of this year that's the reality of it 216 I'm fired up on this free-for-all Friday, and I would fist bump uh, 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 some of these individuals. I'd love to fist bump uh, uh, Eric Swalwell right in the forehead. Um, Charlie, yeah, I would have said that about Kamala, but that's not polite because she's a, well, Katanji Brown-Jackson might not know she's a woman, but I know she's a woman, and you don't do that to women. Uh, Charlie Brownell, go ahead, sir. Hey. Hey, Bob, thanks for taking the call. Yeah, Barbara Lee, she'll, she's leaving Congress anyway, so we don't have to worry about her. She's running for mayor of Houston, I guess. Jussie. No, you're thinking, <laughs> of, you're, you're thinking of Sheila Jackson Lee. That's the wrong Lee. 
That's the wrong oh, way. Sheila okay. Jackson leaves uh, the one in Houston, and she lost that mayor's race, by the way. So she's uh, oh, she's, oh. Yeah. See, I'm, out, I'm out, yeah. out of the loop. I'm sorry. Hey, you had you had this expert on you know uh, hydroelectricity, making electricity, and I've, I've had a thought. You know, we have we have tides all over the world every day. It's a huge amount of energy going back and forth, and it's the moon pulls the water this way and that. Can't we harness that? Is there any way to harness tide energy? Because that would be plentiful forever. Well, I mean, typically they do that with dams, you know, damming rivers uh, and, and those kinds of things. They get hydroelectricity that way. I am no scientist. I've never actually understood how that worked, but I mean, I know that's how, that's why it, you know it's what they do do. I don't know about the oceans. I think it has to be uh, the the pressure of the of the uh, of the water currents has to be so great in order to to create that electricity. Um, that that's why they have to dam it and kind of and, and kind of like. Um, I don't know, concentrated in one area, that the entire expanse and breadth of the ocean is probably, that's not a thing, because smarter yeah, people I than you thought, and me probably have been thinking about yeah. different, you know, alternative well, methods of energy, and uh, and I would have think the, I would think that the 70% of the Earth that is covered in water <laughs> would have been something that they, it could be done, it probably would have been done by now. Sure of that. Hey, I was watching a video on YouTube about uh, Elon Musk, and he's, he's says he's moving away from EVs. He's going to go to high, uh, to uh, to hydrogen cars within 10 years. He said, we won't have EVs, battery-powered cars anymore. And I go, wow, that's like... Well, that's something they've been talking about for decades now, a couple of decades anyway, because, you know, they've been talking about electric cars for about four decades and, you know, really didn't come into full swing until around now or actually with, with Elon and the... Uh, uh, and the uh, Tesla, but but I have heard that hydro-powered cars is something that has been working. The only emission that comes out is water vapor, um, but I don't know where we are in that process. But I know that has been something that's been in the works. It's been in study and you know uh, development for a very long time. I don't know how close they are to such things, but that is something I would get behind much more than the electric because because you know obviously water is plentiful. Um, particularly if you can use seawater, and I don't know exactly what the infrastructure would look like to get it everywhere, but um, if you didn't have to use electricity and you did have an alternative to gas that would make us less dependent on foreign oil, um, that would be something I would be, a conversation I'd like to have, let's put it that way. Yeah, they said the range will be like triple, triple of what a, a current EV car would be, which was, yeah. you know, that's the major reason I'm against EVs is they, they limit your range. I mean, that's prison, that's slavery. Well, hey, one know, last they, they were, thing. Yeah, all right, go ahead. One last thing. You were talking about DEI. It, it is reverse racism. This is Vivek Ramaswamy has been saying reverse racism is racism. they got to pass some laws about DEI. they got to get rid of DEI legally because it is racism. Well, they, we have a law. It's called the Civil Rights Act. It was passed in 1964. It literally outlaws discrimination based on race. So if you're hiring one person based on their race or their skin color over another person because of DEI initiatives, you are literally violating the law. So we, are, we don't need a new law. We just need to enforce the laws that exist. And thank you for the call, Charlie. We just need to enforce the laws that exist. Uh, as for the range being slavery and being a prison, you know, range of an EV, every car has a range. <laughs> I got an F one fifty that's a that's a gas car and it's got a range. It's it's I got a little F on my dashboard that shows my range and it's got a little E on the other end that shows the end of my range. And when I get to the end of my range, I've got to recharge it with gasoline, just like EVs have to be recharged at their uh, little charging stations, provided it's not too cold for the battery to charge. So I don't. Let's not get a little. Let's not get hysterical in the way we're describing these things. Every car has range. Dave in Medina. 
Hello, Dave. You're on the air. Fire away. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Bob. I've never sure. called in before and had the opportunity, so uh, I, but I enjoy listening to you. Well, welcome. I appreciate um, your uh, participation. Thank you. I, what I want to talk about, I think, would come under the heading of speculation, and uh, but makes for interesting conversation. I've been listening to Michelle Obama say how she's very worried about the country, and I hear Barack Obama's involved behind the scenes trying to influence the Biden campaign. And my speculation is that at some point, I don't know when it's going to happen, but the Democratic National Committee is going to realize that they cannot run Joe Biden for president, no matter who the uh, Republican candidate is, and it looks like it's going to be Trump. And they're going to invoke the 25th Amendment. They'll, They'll cut a deal that allows... Joe Biden to write off into the sunset for medical reasons, and Michelle Obama will throw her hat in the ring as the candidate, and so Barack will have his fourth term if she gets elected, because he's really running the show now, I think. Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and, uh, because, I mean, his people are in the White House, and I doubt that Joe Biden sometimes knows what day it is when he gets up. Uh, So, um this far out, I don't. I don't think Michelle Obama would want to be president, but uh, Barack could sit in the basement, you know, at the White House in his underwear and call the shots, and she could be the front person. And it wouldn't be the first time that's happened with a president in this country, by the way. No in history. No, uh, in fact, you're it's exactly. happened more, probably more often than most people know. Well, the, the the Democrat before Barack Obama did the same thing. <clears throat> Hillary Clinton had just as much impact on on policy in the Bill Clinton administration as Bill did. They were a team from the beginning. It's the only reason she forgave his rape uh, of, um, um, gosh, what's her name now? I can't remember her name off the top of my head from Arkansas anymore um, because she's been out there saying Bill Clinton raped her when he was the governor for a long time. But she stood by him and covered all of that up. Because the plan was that Bill was going to serve two terms. She was going to have the most prominent role any first lady had ever had, which would be to develop the health care policy, you know, universal health care policy, which he tasked her with. And then the success of that was going to carry her into being the nominee right after Bill. They were going to have 16 years between the two of them. That was the plan. And I absolutely believe that Barack and Michelle would have a similar idea here. Absolutely. And, uh, well, go back if you go back to... Uh uh, no, not Theodore, uh, not Teddy Roosevelt, but uh, Franklin Roosevelt. He was, you know, he was disabled for years and years, and but it wasn't allowed to be discussed or shown on the, in any pictures. You know, he was in a wheelchair. Yeah. And Eleanor, Eleanor had huge influence on the decisions that were made in this country. That's a great historical lesson. You're exactly right. So it definitely would not be the first time. You know, although, you know, in this case, she was still working behind the scenes as the first lady, but definitely influencing the decisions uh, in the same way with, with Hillary. But in this case, it would be the reverse. She would actually be, Michelle would be the face of it all as the president, and Barack, working behind the scenes, would be the one, uh, you know, calling all the shots, along with all of the other globalists in the cabal that he works in already. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it may be far out, uh, but but the the problem that the, that the Democratic Party has is that if they determine that Joe Biden cannot stand cannot run for for another term, what do they do about Kamala Harris? Well, because well, if they do, if they if they don't let her run, they're they're either a racist or a misogynist or both. 
Yeah, no, no, you're 100% right. Um, I, I've talked about this at length. I talked about it on Sebastian Gorka's show about a week ago, and he asked me whether or not I think Biden is going to make it there. And I said yes, only because uh, of what you just said. They can't buy, they can't let Mich- I mean, uh, Kamala be the, the, the candidate uh, because she's in far, 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 far worse territory in terms of polling and likability and so forth uh, and favorability than Biden is. And they can't bypass her for Gavin Newsom or somebody because you're right. Um, the, the black vote would revolt. Uh, women would revolt because she's supposed to be the next one. The only way to possibly bypass Kamala Harris is with another black female. And there you go. You named it. Michelle Obama. Yep. There was an article in yep. New York New York Post about this uh, in which they're talking about the ways. By the way. They wouldn't need to invoke the 25th Amendment. He would just step down voluntarily on his own. He would say, you know, in deference to, uh, you know, my, my personal life and my family, and I want to devote more time now that I'm in my, in my 80s, I want to devote more time at home, and I care enough about my country that I, I don't want to divide my time. I, I'm, I'm going ste- to step away as the nominee, and we're going to throw our support behind. And I think you just nailed it. They wouldn't need a 25th Amendment. They would just negotiate this with him. You think he would willingly do that? Yeah. I do. I don't think he wants to be president right now. I think he is miserable. That's why every single chance he gets, he dives uh, out to Rehoboth Beach and, uh, and, and, and relaxes because he is being forced against what his body would yeah. tell him to do, which is to rest, to keep a schedule that his body is in no, uh, no uh, position to keep. He's being propped up there by Jill Biden and by the DNC and everybody else. I think he knows he can't keep doing this. He's going to say that he can. Did you see the... the the, the appearances he's made in the last couple of days, he doesn't know where he is. He just talked I about how posing for a picture with somebody yep, who wasn't yep, even there yep. and then said, oh, wait, she's yep. not here. Yep. I mean, he's yep. so lost. Yep. Honestly, Dave, I don't think he wants I mean, this anymore either. He's only doing it because he feels like, well, they, they need him to. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out because if we get another four years of the same policy we have experienced, this country will be gone as we know it forever. You're right. You're 100% right. And by the way, the only thing you're wrong about is if it is Michelle Obama, it would be eight years because there's no way they're going to make the first woman president, the first black woman president, a one-termer and and, and boot her after a one-term. So, yeah, you're talking eight years, and I agree with you, we would never recover. This public would never exist the way that it does now. So, Dave, glad you were a first-time caller. I hope you become a second-time caller. Good stuff. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, there was an article in the New York Post, by the way, um, that ran on Wednesday, I think it was, saying that Michelle Obama could very well sneak her way into the 2024 race for some of the reasons and in some of the manners that we just described. Barack wants back in, and the way to make that happen is to slide Joe to the side, uh, put Michelle in as the face, and then let Barack do his thing the way he did uh, for eight years of destruction the first time around. All right, it's 9.56. We're going to get a timeout on the other side. We're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk about what's going on here in the state of Ohio, specifically down in Columbus as uh, one of the biggest uh, school districts in the state, Columbus City Schools, is cutting parents out of the role that they, they play in their kids' lives. By, uh, by telling kids they can transition while they're at school. In- National Anthem. Wow, I sure miss it all. I'm Jerry Stewart, and that was One Moment in America. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve 
for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two is underway now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Great calls and conversation in hour number one. We have a lot of great conversations to be held now about topics that are, well, less than ideal. I guess I'll put it that way. We told you a little bit earlier this week about the story of one of of, uh, Ohio's uh, largest school districts, the Columbus City Schools in our our state's capital. And, um, yeah, um, this is a disaster in the making. We've seen some smaller districts that have embraced this kind of thing and uh, whistleblowers and concerned kids of sometimes and maybe a staff member, a rogue staff member or two will kind of let it leak out that, hey, we're helping to transition kids inside the school without the input of the parents, but not at a district this size, at least that I'm aware of. But here's the story. Staff members in Columbus City Schools are now required to use students' preferred names and pronouns, including names that are not theirs and pronouns that do not apply to their biological reality, or to the biological reality, but only to their gender identity, which means they are essentially being allowed to facilitate a transition into something else without parents knowing. So this is the Columbus City Schools Transgender and Gender Variant Students Policy, according to documents received by an advocacy group called Parents Defending Education and shared exclusively with Crisis in the Classroom. And the policy mandates that students be addressed or referred to by the pronouns associated with their transgender and gender nonconforming identity Listing examples including they and them. Joining us now with more information and reaction to this, and maybe somebody who can articulate the danger of this is Michelle Exner. She is the PDE, Parents Defending Education Senior Advisor. Uh, Michelle, thanks for joining us here in Cleveland. How are you? Hi, Bob. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Good um, to so have absolutely, you. Yeah, you summarize the story just right, and I think it's part of just, uh, unfortunately, um, an effort we've seen across the country of school districts that have decided to curtail and pull back on, on parental rights and their involvement in their child's life. And so now they're, they're forcing compelling teachers to use certain language or pronouns um, on, uh, with the students, um, even though it might not be something that they agree with. Um, and also when it comes to, comes to the parents' involvement specifically, um, if there is a, dis- a disagreement between what the student wants to be referred to um, and, and the parent's position, the school is saying that, They'll, they'll work together to come up with a, a, quote, mutually agreeable position. In what world is this okay? Um, parents have the absolute right to be involved in their, in their children's education. And so for the school district to, to somehow assume that they should be involved in and dictating these decisions is, is just unreal and, and just unreasonable. When you say... Michelle, that the uh, district is forcing staff members and faculty and teachers and counselors and what have you to use whatever names and pronouns these kids come up with. How how strong are they enforcing that? Are they are they threatening to fire teachers, or are there any teachers that have pushed back and said, "No, I'm gonna 
I'm going to I'm going to call the kids what they really are. I'm not going to play this game of charades with them. What are the repercussions if they do that? I mean the re- the regulation that they push out sounds pretty serious. Like that, that there would be some sort of consequences if a teacher or staff member is in a position that they didn't quote call refer to the student as the right pronoun um or how they want to be identified as and that's that's you know that's putting undue stress on on teachers and staff. They already have a hard enough job as it is. And also, I'd like to point out, right, and I looked this up right before getting on the phone with you. So, I, I, you know, how are the Columbus City Schools performing? Let's just take a look. Mm-hmm. So, um, out of the schools in that region, out of 49 school districts in that region in Ohio, this school district was last, last out of the 49 school districts. And so, would, would and I'm sure your listeners would agree. Would their time not be better spent if they were focusing on reading and math and history and science and helping equip students with the with the academic fundamentals they need <laughs> instead of just addressing every single activist, liberal, political, um, just um, you know, urge out there? Um, it seems like a complete misallocation of priorities, and it's really just a failure to students. Yeah, I think all of those things are accurate. Um... They say that they're not, Michelle, um, cutting the parents out of the loop. Part of the uh, statement released to CITC, Columbus City Schools said, quote, it is committed to fostering a safe and supportive environment for all students, noting that, quote, when students and families feel empowered in their identity, it positively impacts school campuses and the community as a whole. So it says students and families. The release goes on to say, Parents are a vital component in this process and are not disregarded, end quote. How do you respond to them? You know, I think this is just the front. Um, I think that, like I said, we've been at Parents Defending Education. We've been keeping track of every school district in the country, and it's an ongoing list that have policies in place designed to keep parents out of the loop. Right now, we're near, unfortunately, 1,100 policies that um, don't have any straightforward requirement to alert parents if their child goes to school and says they want to be identified as, as a different pronoun. And so I think those are very nice words to say from the Columbus City Schools, um, but also the fact that they're also at the same time using words like, we'll work with parents to come up with a mutually agreeable situation. It sends a message to me that they think that if there's some sort of disagreement, then the school is going to help mediate that. And, and as a parent myself, that is not the school's position. And so I think, I think while their words sound very, very nice, and, and it, it, it is not comforting at all. Yeah, and I think also they kind of <clears throat> undo um, their, their, their little cover story here. And we're talking with Michelle Exner, by the way. She is the PDE senior advisor. That's Parents Defending Education. It's undone by their policy within the school. According to their transgender and gender variant students policy, Students are permitted to use school facilities such as locker rooms, restrooms. And I will add on to this because what is connected every locker room and every school is a shower room, a place of undress, uh, based on their gender identity, not on their biology. That means girls, high school girls, have to subject themselves to the, some of the same 
conditions that Riley Gaines and and uh, NCAA swimmers had to subject themselves when they had to suffer through the Leah Thomas season, uh, and they couldn't say anything. They weren't allowed to complain, or else they were the ones who were going to be booted from the team to dare uh, say that, hey, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that this man is standing here with his male you know, uh, genitalia hanging out uh, you know, and, and changing in front of us, and we're supposed to change in front of him, and that's okay. This is happening now in these, in these uh, high schools. Bob, it is it is just completely absurd. It's just insanity, right? Um, the fact that now these young women and girls are being forced to potentially share their locker rooms, their restrooms, um, spaces that were meant just for them um, to share with biological with with boys, and it's it's completely unfair. It's a violation of their safety and security in schools, and also think about the decades of progress that women have fought for. And then here we are in the year of 2024, just now we don't even have access to our locker rooms. And, and you know, how many stories, how many stories, Bob, have you heard of, of biological women trying to enter men's spaces? I haven't heard of too many. Um, so that, that's another, just an, another fact out there. It is. And, and I also think how many, these people, these adults making these insane decisions, did they forget what it was like to be a high school student? It is a confusing time. It is a time. It is not a time to now allow biological boys and girls to, to enter girls and women's spaces. It's it's you know it's completely unfair. And as a mother of a young of a young female athlete, I would be appalled if I found out that she was going on a field trip or going into her locker room, and these schools were just allowing men to just waltz right in there. Yeah, you know, and public opinion on this is pretty overwhelming that this should not be happening. Quoting from um, the National Desk on this story, they say that an analysis released in February of last year determined that eight of the largest school districts in the country are allowing this uh, same policy to go on as Columbus is. And the findings contradict a poll that your organization, PDE, did that said mm-hmm. 74% of registered U.S. voters oppose schools helping children change their gender identity without involving their parents. I mean, that's a pretty overwhelming number. So they've got some, they've got some chutzpah here to be doing this in the face of all of that public pressure. Absolutely, because it's common sense. What these school districts are doing is that they're ignoring the majority of families in their respective districts, and they're just they're just listening to the vocal minority, right? And and these parents don't deserve that. And it comes down to common sense. Parents should be involved in these decisions. They should be alerted when when these when these topics come up in school. And and also, our girls should not be forced to share their spaces with with boys. It's not fair to them. No, it's not. And, uh, and you know, one of the worst parts about it is, as we have seen examples, Michelle, of, of girls who are uncomfortable with biological males using their facilities being told, well, you can change in the coach's office or you can change and you can use the faculty restroom if you don't want to be in the restroom where biological males are. But we are going to respect their identity which is their fantasy, which is their charade, which is their game that they're playing, rather than your reality. You, you, They don't have to get out of your space. You have to get out of your space and go use an alternative space. And I'm trying to find the fairness in that. And think about it. What, what are we looking at? One, maybe two, one percent of, of students possibly. And again, I'm probably being very generous. And then, and then who's, who's, who's giving things up, right? The 99%. So now 
So now these the students who are uncomfortable, these girls, they have to use, just like you mentioned, we've heard those stories of, of oh, well, you just use the nurse's bathroom. So now these girls have to line up to use one, one stall when there's an entire facility that was meant built and designed for them. I cannot believe we're having this discussion in 2024. We have gone back and we have reversed decades of progress. The one thing I would disagree with, and the first first thing I've disagreed with in our conversation thus far, is I don't think it's 1% anymore. I think the number of actual gender dysphoric students with that disorder is less than one half of 1%, which is, which is what it has traditionally been. But in terms of today and the social contagion that this has brought about, we are seeing more and more and more. The numbers are are exponentially larger, particularly of young girls wanting to transition into males. And they do so in groups, just like they used to go in and puke together when the anorexia craze of the 80s and early 90s was 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 the social contagion. They all felt fat, and they all said, no, my body is just so fat, and they would go in there and purge together. They're doing this now. They're going to clinics together. we got teachers going on TikTok and saying, I'm a I'm a seventh grade teacher and 20, uh, uh, 20 I'm sorry, uh, 14 of my of my 28 students, a full 50, 50 percent of them have identified as being something other than what they are, either non-binary or trans or whatever. So the numbers are much higher than one percent now, artificially so because of the social contagion and the indoctrination these kids are suffering through. Absolutely, Bob. I, I agree. It's a social contagion. Um, I think you see it when celebrities somehow have three, you know, transgender children. It's like, what are the statistics of that? What is the what is the reality of that? Probably none. It's just a social contagion Impossible. where it seems to be. And and what's heartbreaking about that is that you have children who are making permanent decisions, children who are making permanent, life-altering, irreversible decisions based on how they feel as a 15 and 16 year old. And then, and then when they, in a couple of years, when they feel differently, they can't reverse what they've done. And it's heartbreaking. And, and the adults, the adults that are saying this is okay or advocating for this are, are they, they are failing this generation of kids. There's no question about it. The only good news, if we're looking for a light here or a silver lining, is in a state like ours, we do have the SAFE Act, which was passed by our legislature, uh, and it was uh, vetoed by our governor, but it has already been overridden by one side of the legislature, and it's about to be on the 24th, overridden by the other. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful, Michelle, that when the SAFE Act takes effect and children cannot be put on puberty blockers, and they cannot have cross-sex hormones before they're 18, and they certainly cannot schedule surgeries before they're 18, that once those options are no longer available to them, I wonder how quickly the social contagion will start to fade once the kids yeah. realize they're not going to be allowed to act out these uh, these fantasies they've developed. I think it's really some good news there, Bob, so hopefully it goes through. Yeah, well, it will. We have. I've talked to a number of the state senators. It's going to get. It's going to be overridden. And it's going to become law ninety days after that. But the the effects of it, of course, will be perhaps years in the making as the, these kids realize that they're not going to be able to do what they you know what they had been planning to do. Uh, Michelle, I'm so glad your organization is there protecting the rights of parents. It's called PDE Parents Defending Education. Michelle Exner, senior advisor. Thank you for coming on, shining a Absolutely. light on this. Thank Keep you. up the great activist work that you and the other uh, supporters of parents are doing. Thank you so much. A pleasure. And DefendingEd.org, if any of your listeners want to go on our website, see all the good work we're doing. I will do exactly that, and I'll share that as well on social media. Thank you, DefendingEd.org. Thank you, Michelle. All right, there you go. That's uh, that, that's the reality, by the way. And I, I, 
I know we're headed for a court battle. I've talked about this with every guest from the the state house that we have had on. We're we're certainly in in uh, in a fight because of what they did by passing the constitutional amendment in November and keeping the language as muddy as they did uh, in saying that every individual has a right to make their own reproductive health decisions. It's not just about abortions. That means about whether or not you want to be able to reproduce. And if you're a female who wants to sterilize herself in a in a vain and, and futile attempt to become a male, uh, then that would be your right. If you're a male who wants to sterilize himself, become infertile and not be able to uh, to impregnate and, and, and have children later in life because of uh, whatever weird, strange contagion you've developed, uh, it's your right to do that according to the constitutional amendment, which is now law. So I know that once the SAFE Act becomes law, 90 days after it is overridden on the 24th, there's going to be a battle. Immediately, somebody is going to file a lawsuit to stop one or the other. I don't know which way it's going to go. Um, but that's it's probably going to be those who backed the passage of the Constitutional Amendment are going to try to say that the law that was passed is unconstitutional, and away we go. It's going to go to the courts. But until that happens, I'm going to cling to the tiny little vestige of hope that I have here, and that is that once the kids and their indoctrinators recognize that they're not going to be able to go get the drugs at the local clinic. They're not going to be able to go get the cross-sex hormones so that girls can start growing beards and deepen their voices and prepare for their top surgeries, which is a gentle euphemism for having their breasts cut off of their bodies. They're not going to be able to do those things until after 18 that maybe it makes the 9-year-old, the 10-year-old, the prepubescent 11-year-old and 12-year-old and so forth that are going through this uh, this confusing time because of the indoctrination and the, uh, you know, the, the uh, contagion that they're suffering from when they realize, you know, I'm not going to be able to do anything about this for 10 years or 9 years or 7 years from now or whatever, that maybe they abandon the little game of charades that they're playing or Charades is probably the wrong game, uh, but the game of dress up and make believe and fairy tales and so forth. Um, and maybe it's not going to be worth it, and maybe they'll snap out of it. I have to believe, and I hope you agree, that we will get past this moment in our time. I have to believe that again, when the history books are written, twenty years from now, fifty years from now, after you and I are long dead and gone, I have to believe they're going to write about this. And they will not be kind to what this particular era of humankind, and particularly of the American experiment, allowed to happen. When we allowed little boys to cut off their penises and their testicles in a vain attempt, a futile attempt to have some plastic surgeon carve flesh from other parts of their body to create uh, a, a fake vagina in what they call a vaginoplasty. And vice versa. That that when they look back at this time, they will say, "What an age! And what a what a horrific, horrific job that the adults and the leaders in that community and in, the, in this country at that time allowed. What a way they allowed their children to suffer." I believe that someday this will be looked upon with that 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 derision and that scorn. We won't be around to see it. But I have to believe that day is coming, because if it doesn't come, that means we're going to do this forever going forward. 
a nation of Dr. Joseph Mengele's experimenting on kids, carving them up and repositioning parts of their body and trying to redo their, their internal reproductive systems and so forth. It's, it's simple experimentation. It is disgusting. It is reprehensible. It is, quite frankly, satanic. And hopefully... Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1035, we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. Inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. And they deliberately did this. The week he was sworn in, the numbers skyrocketed. And we now have, in three years of Biden's presidency, 9.6 million illegal immigrants. The worst illegal immigration in history. And understand, like her claim, oh, it's Republicans' fault. By the way, that's been their talking point all three years. It ignores the fact that they did this unilaterally, and they can fix it unilaterally. And they did it intentionally, and that is perhaps the worst part about it. And now you've got people like Swalwell and Kamala Harris going on TV and sitting before committees saying, well, we want to fix it. We've offered more money. We've offered more Border Patrol agents. But Border Patrol agents and money is not the solution. What is the solution? Let's ask Dan Stein. He's the president of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Dan, it's good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Always a pleasure. Nice to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. So this is, um, you know, this is their answer. Well, we've offered more money. Well, they've offered more money only in tandem with a whole bunch of foreign aid being sent to Ukraine and other places. In other words, they're going to hold America's border hostage unless we give money to other countries to protect their borders and to fight their wars. And then secondly, they act as if more Border Patrol agents is going to change the problem here when the problem isn't money or agents. It's policy, isn't it, Dan? Well, yeah, it's basically like uh, talking to a junkie, and then a junkie says, yeah, I just need more money to break my habit. <laughs> I mean, they're going to use the money to process more illegal aliens into the country. They're not going to use it to any good purposes. They've systematically, as you pointed out, taken away all the incentives to comply with the law. They set up one incentive after another to break the law, to come in and file fraudulent asylum claims and gimmick the system, abuse it, take advantage of the American taxpayer and our humanitarian instincts to get into the country for years and years waiting for a hearing they'll never show up for. And if they do, they're not eligible anyway. And then in the meantime, Biden, who talks about, oh, I gave him a proposal at the beginning of my administration. What was his proposal? It was mass amnesty. Okay, a political extinction event for the Republican Party. And at the same time, something that would have created another tidal wave of illegal immigration because it didn't actually have any protocols that would reform the process in a way that would really ensure legal compliance in the future. In other words, it was basically a Trojan horse mass invasion bill. And so they go, oh, well, you didn't pass that. Republicans didn't pass that. So so now Republicans are reduced to trying to jam in stuff in these you know, so-called must-pass spending bills, and apparently Biden will do just about anything to get money to Zelensky in Ukraine. But even that couldn't work, because apparently Republicans have come up with the idea that no matter what they do, if there's a government shutdown, Republicans take the blame. Well, if Republicans believe that, which they do apparently, then they're defeating themselves, right? What they say, the battle's won before the battle's begun. Schumer knows that Republicans will always capitulate, because they, the Republicans think they'll be blamed for the shutdown, so they couldn't even get even even a few small legal changes into the immigration law in exchange for all this money. So they just uh, passed a CR, mm-hmm. kicking the can down the road till March. 
which is exactly what the conservative Republicans were mad about with, with McCarthy. They just keep allowing Schumer to get up there and going, hey, we won again, no shutdown. Now, I know the Republicans have a slim margin, but the point is, as Ted Cruz says, Mayorkas is breaking the law. The DHS secretary under Biden is breaking the law, using parole to bring in millions of people when the law clearly states he doesn't have that authority. And yet neither the courts nor Congress seem to have the capacity to stop him. What is giving money to a serial lawbreaker going to do? It's a, it's a fair question. It's a great point. We're talking to Dan Stein, the president of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Fair. Um, but, you know, the one thing that Johnson and the Republicans uh, say about, you know, being blamed for the sh- shutdown, it, it's true because the left controls all of the media. And in an election year, if the Democrats, uh, you know, use their partners in the media to say all of the agencies that are shut down and the people are not being paid and federal employees, blah, 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 are the responsibility of the Republicans, the media is going to is going to do exactly that. And the they're, they're afraid it's going to lead to massive losses in November. Well, but that just means the Republicans can't accomplish anything. Uh, you know, right. if, if the Republicans basically are going to Donald Trump demonstrated that if you're going to listen to The Washington Post and The New York Times, you may as well just give up your party registration and become a Democrat or something, because, you know, it, it renders the Republicans virtually impotent when they have any kind of control. And obviously they don't have a lot of control you know, right now anyway, with a slim majority in the House. But it's, to me, there's all kinds of alternative messaging strategies Republicans could be using through alternative media to get out the knowledge to the voters that, you know, Democrats are addicted to spending and addicted to avoiding a shutdown to the point where it's running this country into financial ruin. And if the Republicans can't stand up for fiscal thrift and sanity, you the expense of a few lousy bureaucrats not getting a paycheck for a few weeks, you know, and what's the... Anyway, I'm venting on a sidebar issue, but the broader point is this thing is intentional. Biden has the legal tools to stop it. Changing the law may help, but in the end, the reason why we have an impeachment power is to throw out officials who will not carry out their fundamental responsibilities. I mean, if President Biden were to say to the Chinese, you know, you want to take Hawaii? Fine. I don't really need it anymore. You guys might make use of it. It'll help you defend Taiwan. Or, for example, I mean, you won't think that's an impeachable offense. At what point does the president will not, I mean, to have a president allow a basic border invasion of millions of people and, and not carrying out, the, you know, and the states can't Not do just that. allow that's it, but invite it. Yeah, not just allow right. it, but invite it. They've, done, they've literally set policy that encourages people to come. It's not just, well, they came and now we have to let them in. They are telling them, bring your families And then they blame now. Republicans. And they blame Republicans for something. You know, Biden's blood is all over his hands over the, all the executive orders he signed the first 60 days after he came into office. And you can look at the numbers. It's like a hockey stick on the chart. Biden comes in, takes the oath. Mayorkas comes in. They change this. They change all the interpretation of enforcement, everything else. All the numbers skyrocket starting in, you know, 2021. And you see this just fiasco. This just just disaster going on and unfolds. Biden won't even go to the border, refuses to address it, won't even acknowledge it. And, you know, the media cover for him. I understand the problem. They go, oh, Biden willing to make concessions. They're not concessions. And Mayorkas, you know, he's under impeachment inquiry and he doesn't even feel like he should show up. I mean, the level of uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine maybe since James Watt, such a bad cabinet appointment as Mayorkas, and yet somehow there's no political accountability. The reason Congress has to impeach Mayorkas, even if the Senate won't convict him, is because they need to lay a groundwork for the abuse that's happened and for future legislative remedies. So building this record is very important. 
There are leaders out there trying to do the right thing. Chip Roy has called for it very explicitly. Shut down the border or shut down the government. Either one. You, if right. you don't do one, we are going to have to do the other. But there's just not that much courage. There's not enough people like that. Um, and, and the question is, is are the American people going to tell their representatives to follow the Chip Roy plan? I know I talk to Jim Jordan every week, and I tell him that. I said, are you backing this? Because that's what has to happen. And I'm encouraging him and everybody else that I can talk to to do that. I just don't know if there's enough pressure or if they're going to listen to enough of those voices. You know, the, the, the polling shows that immigration is an outcome determinative issue in a lot of the southern states, certainly in, in some of these the states in the interior, or maybe a second, maybe third tier issue. New Hampshire, places like that, still very important. People understand what a border out of control means. It means there's no control of national destiny. Self-determination is gone. You know, the history books are full of, of states and, and nations that have gone into the you know, the past history books faded into history because they lost control of their borders. This is unsustainable. We cannot deliver the American dream or any kind of first world services to the American people if we don't control our borders. It's very simple. And we're shifting money increasingly, billions of dollars, to serve people who have no right to be in the country and give them housing and kicking out veterans and kicking out the elderly to provide, you know, free meals and accommodations for people here illegally. I mean, Everybody can understand that. This guy's getting something that he's not entitled to, and you're not. That's exactly right. Very, very well said. Dan Stein, president of FAIR, that's the Federation for American Immigration Reform, getting the word out and warning lawmakers of what is coming uh, if we do not act on this now. We will not have a uh, – and I'll just close with this. I know you've only got one one more minute here. Um, this election in, in November is so crucially important. Can this country survive four more years like the four we just had? Well, we either need a political tsunami next year, right, this year, or we're going to get a tsunami across our borders if we don't. There's no question about it. And I think the answer to that is then, uh, no, we won't survive with the tsunami of bodies coming across that border. It is a literal invasion. Dan Stein, keep up the great work at FAIR. Keep us abreast of what's going on. We appreciate you. Thanks. You got it. All right, there you go. He's the president of uh, FAIR. It's a great organization for about four years, I want to say. I went down, excuse me. To D.C. in um, in September for the uh, Holding Their Feet to the Fire event, which is a cluster of around 100 talk show hosts from around the country who are concerned, interviewing and talking to people like Dan and people like uh, Mark Morgan and Tom Holman and, and so many others who are um, important figures in Customs and Border Enforcement and ICE. Immigration Customs Enforcement and so forth, and uh, uh, didn't have it because of COVID, and uh, now they're trying to rebuild it, hopefully for next year. But it's a very important organization, and I advise you, if you care at all about this and you want to know the true costs, both financially and um, culturally, by way of our neighborhoods, our schools, our, our health facilities, crime, and so forth, if you want to know the true cost of illegal immigration when it is unchecked and as rampant as it is right now, follow FAIR online at fairus.org. Fairus.org. Because he's right. He's right to be angry. He's right to be venting as he, as he said he was. Because what the Biden administration is doing is criminal. In fact, um, I played you Ted Cruz before the start of that interview. This is Republican Congressman Ralph Norman laying it out as well. In my humble opinion, Mr. Mayorkas's border policies. Apologies. This is a mom. This is a um, uh, mother of a fentanyl victim 
who gave very emotional testimony because this fentanyl, of course, was trafficked over our southern border and allowed here by the Biden administration. So after her emotional testimony here, you'll hear Congressman Ralph Norman. Is partially responsible for my daughter's death. His wide open border policy allows massive quantities of poisonous fentanyl into our country. Arizona is the fentanyl superhighway into the United States. My family is broken. My heart is broken. And he couldn't even be here to face me today. Whatever he's doing that is more important than facing me today, I don't know what that could be. Uh, so, just to be clear, he, he was unable to sit for testimony. He had a planned trip to Mexico. But that testimony, uh, heartbreaking, Congressman. Heartbreakingly honest. Well, it's so sad. You know, the, the, the saying, there are no treatment centers in morgues, uh, that was from an, an agent that testified in front of a, a small committee that we had. And look at Tammy Nobles, whose daughter, I think, was killed by MS-13. Uh, a, a MS gang member, and then uh, Miss Dunn's by fentanyl, and that's just one of thousands that are being killed. And this this Mayorkas is carrying out the orders of the Biden administration, so he just care. You know, the, the Biden administration is defaulted the, with this. I'm still for the impeachment. I know that the Biden administration would put up somebody as bad as he is, but it's it's criminal yeah. what this administration is doing to the American people. The tail end of that that uh, comment there from uh, Ralph Morgan on screen, and I know you only have the uh, audio version of it since this is radio, but I want to read this to you. It it buttresses the point that Dan Stein made in our interview about the importance of immigration to the populace. The most important issue facing the country. Now, this is from uh, Iowa Republicans, because I think the survey was done in Iowa right before the caucuses on Monday, but I think this is pretty well across the board. The most important issues facing the country, health care, 4%. Foreign policy, 7%. Economy and jobs, 33%. Immigration, 41%. It's the number one issue for, in that poll, Iowans, but as I say, I think that is probably pretty likely to be across the country. Illegal immigration is touching and hitting every single state in every single city and quite frankly every single person in some way or another and that's why chip roy as i pointed out is is being a leader in all of this congressman from texas you know he commented on this you know the, on the vote yesterday for the cr that dan stein was complaining about rightfully so that cr it just continues the democrats spending for another two and a half months it goes into march kicks the can a little further down the road without any concessions whatsoever on border security and the worst part about it is 107 House Republicans joined 207 House Democrats to do this. So where in the hell are Republicans acting like Republicans, acting like conservatives, carrying out the mission that they were given by their bosses, you and me? We send them to represent us in Congress, and that means represent the law constitution sovereignty and they just said yep we're going to continue as is let them keep flowing across let the fentanyl keep coming to kill people like that woman's daughter and we don't care 
Chip Roy's response to that vote was, it's true that 107 voted for, with the Democrats, that CR, and to continue Democrat spending, but, he said, 106 voted no after we took time and opposition to argue against, and we can build on that resistance. Okay, I guess. We'll see. How fast are you going to build it, though? Because you need about 100 of those 106, maybe even 102 or 3 of those 106, since the slim majority is what it is, to join you in opposing that nonsense. Shut down the government until the government shuts down the border. The House Freedom Caucus, by the way, took it a little harder than Chip did. Quote, this is a tweet from the House Freedom Caucus. That's Jordan's founded body. Half of the House GOP voted against Johnson Schumer's CR. 107 Republicans and 207 Democrats voted to continue Nancy Pelosi's spending and Joe Biden's policies. This is supposed to be a Republican majority, not a Democrat one. They're exactly right. We just the problem is we have too many uniparty Republicans in the uh, in the House. We have too many rhinos in the House, and they are worried, particularly those who who live in and uh, and serve in purple districts. They're concerned about about shutting the government down and taking the blame. I understand what Dan Stein was talking about, but when I said that the media can, he said, "Well, then we got to work on our messaging, get out there to alternative media," and and it's true. I mean, yeah, but alternative media like me. You know, like Dr. Gorka's show, like Prager and so forth, uh, and, and some other places too, and, you know, newspapers like the Washington Times instead of the Washington Post and the New York Post instead of the New York Times and so forth. Yeah, but the mainstream media takes its name from being mainstream. More Americans pay attention to what they see on the networks and on the CNNs and MSNBCs collaborating with the New York Times, Washington Post, San Francisco Chronicle, Chicago Trib, LA Times, all of the left-wing rags all across the country are going to say, Republicans killed the government. Republicans, because they're racist and they hate the idea of black and brown people coming, they have, they have chosen to shut down the government. Hell, I'm not even a representative. I'm just a guy. And I tweeted, and I don't even have a large Twitter following, because I don't do Twitter very well. I do talk radio exceptionally well. I don't do Twitter very well. And I don't, but even I, I posted a couple of days, the government down, then spend money on Democrat priorities like three-quarters of a million dollars to study uh, um, um, pregnancy prevention in trans males. In other words, they're, they're, they're bowing to the LGBTQ community and saying that males can get pregnant. And we are going to work on ways to, to, to help you know, decrease the uh, number of unplanned pregnancies in these trans males. You think I want to fund that? I went online and tweeted, uh, tweeted out a message saying I would rather shut the government down than pay for and pass a budget that pays for things like this. And you know what some of the responses were? First of all, I got retweeted and reposted and shared by a lot of prominent people, including Ann Coulter. That made me feel good. But, uh, the, the, of course, the haters came in and said, you'd rather not have military veterans being paid. You'd rather shut the... And they're starting to list the, in the, in the, some of the organizations that would be considered non-essential and would not be paid just because you hate trans kids. That's their response. And I, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not even a representative, but they came for me. We think they're going to do for for at risk Republicans in districts in a very thin majority that we already have there a slim majority. What do you think? think what do you, what do you think they're going to do? 
they're going to come for them and they're going to take their seats away in, if they're in purple districts, in dangerous places, because they're going to say the same thing. You, you shut down the government all to protect A, B, C, D, and E, the, your, your racist policies, and you don't care about all of these other people being served. The mainstream media is mainstream for a reason. They reach more people than the alternative media does. And so we're in a bind. We're in a very, very precarious and dangerous situation. All right, we're coming up on the top of the hour. If you want to talk about uh, Jesse Smollett congressional version we started the show with, we can do that. If you want to talk about this issue and Eric Sir farts a lot Swalwell, we can do that. But we also have another conversation coming up. What are we going to do with all of these broken-down robot graveyards all over the frozen tundra of America right now? EVs don't work in very cold. Other special guests for an evening with Dennis Prager. A perfect night out to get you motivated for 2024. Get your tickets now at MedinaGOP.org. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. All righty then. Hour number three is underway on this free-for-all Friday, also known as a fist bump Friday. Make sure you uh, touch knuckles <clears throat> with your coworkers, with friends, with strangers, with family members. Tell them it's fist bump Friday. We need to share a little bit of camaraderie, a little bit of friendship in this very, very divided time right now. Uh, it is the 19th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024, and there are EV graveyards all over the heartland, and even extending into the Mid-South, and of course, all the way across up into the Northeast, this uh, massive, almost nationwide winter storm, which has classes canceled at the University of Tennessee Law School, where my daughter goes, and she's livid over it. They don't know how to handle these things, but... Um, this storm is uh, t- is creating a lot of casualties, including and especially, as noted, EVs. They can't charge very well in the cold weather. Why? Well, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but we're going to talk talk to somebody who is because the reality is uh, what's going on now is they're trying to tell us we all need to get into EVs. What did Biden say? By 2030 or 2035, 50% of all cars in the U.S. should be EVs? And then the rest of the way by what, 2050 or something like that? Thank God I won't be around to see that nonsense. But this is what happens. Can't even get them running in the cold weather. Joining us now is a climate change analyst, Gregory Wrightstone. He's a geologist, the executive director of the CO2 Coalition based in Arlington, Virginia. He's also the best-selling author of A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. Gregory Wrightstone, good to have you here on the program. How are you, sir? Oh, 
really good calling you uh, this morning from a snowy Arlington, Virginia. Uh, looking out my window, I can't even see the Washington Monument that's nearly <laughs> less than a mile from me. But, uh, yeah, this cold weather has been affecting especially the EVs, the electrical vehicles, that people just can't get them charged because you have to get the batteries that they're trying to recharge that don't recharge very well in extremely cold weather. And you spend a lot of that of that, a lot of that juice that's coming out of the line just heating the battery up and heating the car up. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been stuck in snowstorms before several times. And it was not a problem because I was driving a, a big SUV that was gasoline fire, and you just sit there and let it idle uh, until they come and plow you out. Uh, but you can't do that with an EV, can you? Because no. um, you're going to use up that the heat's going to use suck up the the power that you need to travel. Uh, which you're going to have to do if you're in that Tesla. Uh, is if you're stuck in a snowstorm, you, you, you're going to need to get out of that car and probably walk up to the the closest gasoline powered vehicle knock on their window and please to let you inside <laughs> and that's that's what you know that's what it's reduced to and, yeah. and think about it too uh if you're in florida or new orleans or corpus christi and there's a hurricane coming um you know the traffic in those evacuation situations it might be at a crawl or stopped uh and, and once these evs there's no place to recharge um, this is it's a real bad problem, and people are just not buying EVs. They're piling up on dealers' lots. I talked to a, a dealer that's a supporter of ours. Uh, he says they've got three and four times as many uh, EVs sit on his lot, three and four times as long as what they would like. And they usually only like a three-week period, but some of these EVs, he says, they're, they're, they're staying on his lot for three and four months before they move because people just don't want to buy them. You know, there's um, probably a multitude of answers to the question of why, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Is it the impracticality and the shortcomings of it that you just laid out, or is it just the exorbitant cost? I mean, uh, you know, people what? people people can't afford sixty, seventy thousand dollars for a Tesla or for another one of the uh, you know the higher end EVs. Exactly, it's it's about sixty five thousand is the is the average cost for an EV, which is uh, quite a bit more than what it is for your. Uh, Toyota, gasoline-fired Toyota or Volvo or whatever. Um, it's the high cost. It's it's not very practical because there are very few charging stations, and those that are often are down, um, and, and it takes so long to recharge an electric vehicle. I mean, I can I can pull up with my Ford Escape and have it gasoline, get, have my, a full tank in less than three minutes, uh, where it might take you, uh, 45 minutes to over an hour and a half to charge your electric vehicle. Uh, it, it's not does not make sense for long. And that's and that's not even trips. full. The, even even with the fast yeah. chargers, that's not even full, right, Gregory? I mean, uh, we're, right. we're I mean, you know, my father-in-law. I was talking telling the story, but this morning. <clears throat> My father-in-law was one of the first people in on the EVs, not because he's a carbon, carbon or, or climate alarmist. He's just an engineer. He loves the tech. He loves the fascination. He bought this way back in 2012, so it's hard to believe it's 12 years ago. He bought one wow. of the first Nissan Leafs. And that thing only has a small enough battery uh, for, I think it's a 100-mile range at its peak. And to get from zero to a 100-mile range, it's seven to eight hours to charge that thing. So I don't know how long it's going to take to charge the ones that are big enough that, that are now getting some 300 miles per charge. Um, but, you know, you're going to have to pull off on the highway and, and, and plan a two-hour meal uh, while your car charges up. 
Well, not not only that, uh, these battery-driven electric cars are much, much, much heavier uh, than than a gasoline or diesel-powered vehicle. Much heavier because the the batteries are so heavy. Uh, and so they're looking. They're going to have to redesign when they're they're going to take that into account when you're building parking garages because it's not just a little bit of, of weight; it's a lot of weight. Uh, interesting, though. I think you you get a chuckle out of this. Uh, there was a, a big. I think it was the Washington Post yesterday, a big story on uh, this couple that drove from the North Pole to the South Pole in their electric vehicle. What they don't report, or you have to go way down in, into the depths, is they were hauling behind them uh, a gasoline-powered generator that they used to power up their electric vehicle. So they were uh, it wasn't quite electric. It was still a gasoline-powered because it was coming from the gasoline or the, the diesel that they used to actually power this. Because, you know, going down through South America, they, they drove, it was quite an accomplishment. But it, 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 what all it proved was you have to haul along your own diesel-powered electricity source. Uh, now, these things are just not practical. They're, they're fun to drive. Um, I was just talking to... But people aren't going to buy these things for fun, are they? I mean, you know, that's what makes it kind of a passing fad. I mean, you know, flare jeans were fun for a while, and then people thought they were stupid, and they stopped it. We're talking about um, forced, you know, mandated conversion over to something that people may find fun for a few months to drive, but once they realize the impracticalities of it, they're going to be livid that this is what they're stuck with. Well, it's it's not just the scary part. It's not just vehicles we're talking about. They're trying to control every aspect of your listeners' lives. They're trying to control what washing machine, what dryer, uh, what dishwasher you can you can use. Our dishwasher in my home, uh, we after New Year's dinner we had to, we had to run it twice because there was still some grease from the uh, you know the, the dishes just weren't clean enough, and that's because they're going to these low water usage mm-hmm. um, materials. And, and no, thank you. We should have the freedom to choose what, how we dry our clothes, how we wash our clothes, how we wash them, what car we could drive. Uh, and what they're doing is systematically uh, controlling every aspect of our life. Uh, heat pumps are another, another one that they're pushing right now, particularly in Great Britain or in the U.K. Uh, they're really, really pushing heat pumps. And I don't know if you've ever lived in a home with a heat pump. They're, they work really well between about 40 degrees and 80 degrees, but in the really hot weather, really cold weather, they don't they don't function very well at all. No. But that's what they want us to transition to. Uh, well, it's well, they want it's everything control. to they want everything to become electric. They want us to get rid of our electric ranges. I mean, our gas ranges, our gas furnaces, furnaces, and so many other things. Um, and they they so many people just think that electricity comes from the little holes in the wall. Um, people don't understand, Gregory, and you can perhaps explain it better than I can. Um, how much of our electricity is provided by coal and natural gas, the two fossil fuels, two of the three fossil fuels that they want to completely wipe out. They, John Kerry went to um, COP28 and said, um, you know, we are, we are going to end all of the coal plants that we currently have, destroy the coal fire power plants that we her- currently have, and we're going to build no more. Well, if they do that, where are we getting the electricity to run all of these things that they're trying to convert us over to? Yeah, they're, they're they're trying to systematically, particularly coal plants, shut them down. But they're they're talking about a, a, a coal or excuse me, carbon taxation schemes. Um, these are all designed to drive up the cost of electricity to every to you and every one of your listeners, and, and just to the east of you, where you where you're sitting right now in your studio, not too far east, 
lies the greatest natural gas field on Earth, the Marcellus Shale. Uh, it stretches into eastern Ohio. The bulk of it is Pennsylvania, northern West Virginia. Uh, I, I was a co-author of the first comprehensive paper on it. And I, I did the early research. And this, this should put the chills up. There's, raise a hair on the back of your neck when you hear this. We, we compared the Marcellus one field shale uh, to the conventional gas fields around the world. The top 10 conventional gas fields combined didn't equal what's in the Marcellus. That's wow. a big reservoir. That's how big it is. And unfortunately, uh, it's stranded. Uh, they can't get the gas to New England where it's really needed because New York and New Jersey have both imposed pipeline uh, bans. So here we've got this gas, cheap, plentiful, abundant, affordable natural gas, and they can't get it to New England. And this complicates the situation with the electricity generation. New England in the port of Boston can't buy liquefied natural gas from Texas because of the Jones Act that prohibits them using, requires them to use American flag tankers. Well, there aren't any American flag uh, liquefied natural gas tankers. So they have to buy their, their natural gas from Algeria, uh, have it trucked in from or shipped in from Spain. Uh, so they're, they're having to buy expensive foreign natural gas instead of abundant and affordable. Uh, natural gas from Pennsylvania, Louisiana, or Texas. We are talking uh, with great information coming from uh, Gregory Wrightstone. He's a geologist, the executive director of the CO2 Coalition in Virginia. Tell me about the CO2 Coalition. What do you do? Yeah, we're we're a scientific group. We have more than 150 <laughs> of the top scientists in the world. We include physicists. I'm a geologist, chemists, uh, engineers, energy experts. Uh, in fact, we just added Dr. John Clauser to our board of directors. If you don't know who that is, he received the, he's the current Nobel laureate in physics. Uh, and these are the kind of powerful scientists we have. And in fact, uh, an interesting story about John was that he was honored by Joe Biden at the White House when he received the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and afterwards, he shook Joe's hand. He said, he said, sir, he says, the science you're using for energy and climate change is just wrong. And Joe got angry at, at the Nobel laureate and told him he was just spouting right-wing science. Uh, so Joe Biden was lecturing the current Nobel laureate in physics on science. That's um, so it doesn't get much richer. from. It's hard to call John Clauser a science denier <laughs> as he's holding the Nobel Prize on his, on his wall there. Uh, but that's who we are. We we promote the benefits of, of modest warming and more CO2. And that, that's really what drove me to write my new book, A Very Convenient Warming, uh, is this. The subtitle, of course, is How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. And that's, I, I think it's the greatest untold story of the 21st century, is that climate change uh, isn't causing us to have a climate crisis, just, just the opposite. By almost every metric we look at, uh, ecosystems are thriving and humanity is benefiting from warming and more CO2. Um, again, greatest untold story of the 21st century, uh, completely opposite of what you hear from the mainstream media. Um, and so I, I like to use the word celebrate. We should celebrate um, the benefits that we're seeing, crop growth breaking records year after year. Um Actually, cold kills 20 times as many people as heat. Um, 
And when I say that, I say global warming. Because of that, we can safely say that global warming would save lives, um, probably millions of lives, because it would reduce the number of cold-related deaths. Uh, they go, what? You can't say that. Well, yeah, I can. And we can back it up with science, facts, and data. Well, those things are usually not welcome in this conversation for those who are trying to advance an agenda. Are you um, familiar at all with Steve Gorham? Oh, sure, sure. He's a member of our, our group. Oh, perfect. He, he's, uh, yeah. he's got a he's got a, a new book uh, that he just published, I think about a month or so ago. Uh, he would be a great guest for you to have on your show if you well, that, that That's the reason I brought it up, because uh, he has been a guest on this show. He's also been a guest on my TV show. We did an hour-long deep dive into this, and he was the only other person I've heard articulate what you just articulated, that more carbon is good for us. And for all of the reasons you just listed and went in much more depth on this, that this, this, this fantasy that we're all going to die and the planet is going to melt because of carbon emissions, CO2 emissions are, are, are too great, is is literally the opposite of the reality he cited the science you cited the science and i asked him steve why uh you know when you have all of these facts and all of this scientific evidence of everything that you're talking about why does the narrative still exist he said because we're not allowed to present it uh, i said yeah. well can't you debate these people he said they won't debate me they, they know if i bring this stuff to a debate their entire narrative goes away so i'm assuming exactly. you, you run into the same problem oh absolutely we uh, we we thought we had uh we got together with the with the great people of Wyoming. We had thirty legislators. The sec, uh, the the uh, attorney general of Wyoming wrote a letter uh, to the governor, the Republican governor, who's pushing a negative net zero for the cowboy state. Uh, he wants to do carbon capture and sequestration. Uh, we we all they demanded that there be a debate on the subject, hosted on one side by the, our experts from the CO two coalition and any experts he can provide. At first, he agreed to it. We were ecstatic. I think after after they uh, took a list of a look at our experts that we were going to bring to the debate, they said, yeah, maybe not. Uh, and that's the problem we have. Same with Steve Gorham, uh, Patrick Moore, uh, co-founder of Greenpeace. Uh, he's, he sits on our board of directors. Uh, he, these, these people, they, they, they will not debate us. They need to stifle this. They need to shut us up. Because when we talk, we make sense. Mm-hmm. When we talk, we, we talk about facts. We talk about science. Uh, and, and we can back this all up. Uh, it's not hyperbole or tall tales. Uh, when I tell you that 20 times as many people die due to cold as to heat, that's from the largest study of its kind. If I yeah. tell you that the Sahara Desert is shrinking, it's a fact. Uh, you can go to NASA, just Google NASA and greening and learn about how 200,000 square kilometers of the southern Sahara has been converted from desert into a thriving grassland and farmland. Uh, and that's due to climate change. Uh, we, we see that we're not experiencing deforestation. The earth is experiencing reforestation. Um, the greatest example of the benefits are, is that of uh, the agricultural sector. Uh, where we look at my new book, I take a look at the eight top agricultural products in the world by tonnage, how much are they produced? And we look, each one of those eight top crops are breaking records year after year after year, and it's attributable to warming, more CO2, and the use of fossil fuel-derived nitrogen fertilizer. Those things are providing uh, crop productivity that's outpacing population growth. And again, I'll use the word celebrate. We should celebrate 
this increase in agricultural productivity. Uh, yeah. and, and the warming that we've seen, uh, it leads to longer growing seasons. You may not be aware, growing seasons in the continental United States have increased more than two weeks since 1900. That, that, that's huge for agriculture. Um, in Ohio, you have orchards, lots of apple orchards and, and the like. What do they fear the most? Late spring frosts. Uh, warming means that they, they don't have that. Uh, and so, again, we, we just point to, again, I, I catalog that in my book, all these benefits that are accruing to humanity. Um, it's, it's, it's a really, really good story. Uh, we've got a, a billboard that we put up on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It's up another one similar to it in Salt Lake City right now. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a woman resting comfortably in bed, and it just says, sleep well, there is no climate crisis. Um, so heads explode as they're driving by our billboards. Of course. And you are, you know, you're the devil. You, you're, you know, you're the enemy of science. You are the science denier. You believe the earth is probably flat as well. I hear it all the same, all the same things. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a radio guy and a TV guy, but I try to talk intelligently and I do the research. It'll actually, I read your research that you guys do and I get the same exact things. They don't want to hear it because it is counter, it runs counter to the agenda. And that is dangerous for them and their bottom lines as well. Well, Gregory Wrightstone, I want to send people to your Twitter page. I just found you there. I didn't even know. Uh, I'm following you now uh, for people who are on Twitter at CO2 Coalition. I know it's called X now, but X is stupid. Uh, at CO2 Coalition <clears throat> is where you can find uh, them on Twitter. And find Greg and his team online at CO2Coalition.org. CO2Coalition.org. Extraordinarily important information there. I'm going to be a regular visitor. I've bookmarked that page as well. And you know what we're probably going to have to do? Steve was so great on my TV show. Uh, we're going to have to have you and Steve on together maybe. We'll do kind of a tag team oh, sure. conversation and really, really hammer home so much of this important information about the real benefits of carbon, uh, the reality of carbon and uh, global warming, as they like to call it, or climate change in these EVs too. So uh, we'll definitely have to get that on the schedule. Uh, Gregory, thank you for the time. Thank you for the information. Stay warm down there in Arlington. All right. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Thank you. All right. 1127. Hey, friends, um, if you like these interviews and if you like these conversations and if you like what you hear on this program, I need you to support the sponsors that make this program possible. All right. Uh, I have some of the most incredibly loyal sponsors who back what we do here because they know the value of it. And I want you to go and see them and take advantage of the value and the fantastic opportunities they present you, like my friend Mark King. Mark is the reason we're on the air right now. Mark and uh, my friend Karam at the Floor King, because they teamed up to give us our third hour. And you may remember, just we just wrapped up in December the uh, annual enrollment period for Medicare. A lot of confusing Medicare insurance ads you saw on TV and the internet and probably through the mail too, which they're not supposed to be. I told you then, but I'm going to tell you now. Call my friend Mark King at Keeping Medicare Simple and you don't have to deal with all of that other nonsense. I've been amazed by how many people have told me they did follow my advice, they did contact Mark, and they are forever grateful. What people found, and I already knew, is that no one explains Medicare and insurance options for folks on Medicare like Mark King does. They found that Mark is local, 
focus exclusively on what's available in Northeast Ohio and that he knows how all the local plans compare to one another better than anybody else. But if you didn't talk to Mark, then you have to ask yourself, did you sign up for a plan that you don't fully understand? Does your current agent not return your phone calls? Are you frustrated with dealing directly with your insurance company and trying to compare plans on your own? Do you need some help in that regard? Just call Mark. He's there for you, and he's been doing this for over 35 years. As an independent Medicare insurance consultant, he'll help you too. Call 440-832-8936, 440-832-8936. Schedule a consultation. Even if you miss that deadline, there are more enrollment options for you available. Log on to KeepingMedicareSimple.com and then hit that number, 440-832-8936. You'll find out why I trust Mark King, and you can too. We do not offer every plan available in your... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.